Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul Learning Series. Welcome back, everyone. Lovely to see you. Rabbi Shapiro is going to continue through this topic of mental and spiritual health. As some of you heard or were with us last week, Rabbi Elliot Dorf was with us and kind of gave a, a, a very broad overview of just mental and spiritual health, much more mental health um, in in Judaism and like how we've come to acknowledge this or not in our tradition. And Rabbi Shapiro in the next two weeks is going to dive a little bit more deeper, a little bit more deeply. And <laughs> and uh, the last week he and Rabbi Dorf are going to come together to be able to kind of bring, bring it all uh, from all different aspects of uh, their specific teachings together for all of us to then be able to go into the Yamim Noraim with a little bit more awareness um, and a little bit more work to do on our own in these realms. So I'm going to pass this over to Rabbi Shapiro, and he is very excited about what he's teaching today. I am very excited. Very excited to learn from him today. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us this fine book here. as Rabbi Schatz just indicated, yes, I am uh, excited to share this with you. It's it's always nice to to get the opportunity to to teach something that you know has been rattling around in the old noggin for a little while, and the class sort of pushes pushes you to actually get it all down on paper, or as the case may be uh, this morning, a Google Slides presentation. So uh, nice nice to have that opportunity. Um, I'll add that just to be a little more specific in terms of what the next couple of weeks look like, um, I kind of envision these next two weeks as like kind of a, a sub, like a, a sub two, two class, two part class amidst the larger four part uh, series that we're doing. So um, I, I shared this a bit with Sarah last night and she said, that's great, but where's the practical piece? And I said, yeah, that's, that's next week. So uh, today I'm planning on going through some more kind of conceptual stuff. And then my hope is um, all y'all will, will join next week uh, and we'll be able to dive into a little bit more of the personal reflective pieces of what I'll be presenting. Uh, And then uh, two weeks from today, uh, Rabbi Dwarf will rejoin us and we're going to do some like case studies to apply some of what we've been talking about. So um, with all of that in mind, I'm going to give two introductory notes to uh, today's content um, before diving in more specifically. The first note I'll offer, um, I'll, I'll ruin the punchline. So, it, so if, if, you get, if you get nothing else, this is kind of what I want to offer up. Um, and Rabbi Dorf and I will revisit this in the last class, that ultimately... Um, health is integrated, right? Physical health and mental health and spiritual health are all integrated one from the other. We talk about them differently, um, but they're actually all connected one to the other, right? If you are not feeling well physically, it's going to impact your mental health. If you are struggling with some mental health issues, it's going to impact your spiritual connection. If you are feeling spiritually disconnected, um, it might very well impact how you are walking in the world in other ways, right? That all of these are connected and that it is not a dichotomy, 
right? It's not that you either have mental health or you don't, that you don't have spiritual health or you do, that it's actually a spectrum, that all of these are a spectrum, that you can be working on your mental health, that you can be not as spiritually healthy as you were and working on getting more, right? Just like physical health. It's very rare that you're either completely physically healthy or you have no physical health whatsoever, right? You might be, you might have just gone on a four mile run, but you're still working on eating healthier. I'm, I'm sure Rabbi Shaft eats, eats magnificently, right? But that there's, that there's a spectrum of health in all these regards. So that's the first piece. Uh, the next piece is a request for your indulgence. Uh, in one thing, which is I was talking about the content of this course with Rabbi Dorf, uh, and Rabbi Dorf, philosopher that he is, uh, mentioned, he, he shared an anecdote with me about how he was once in a class where someone was presenting on spirituality, and he raised his hand and said, well, before we get into it, can we define what spirituality is? And the teacher, who was a friend of his, looked at him and just said, next question, and moved on. Um, so we're going to do a version of that this morning. I'm just going to say, next question, and move on. We could spend a lot of time trying to define what being spiritual is, what spirituality is, um, and I at least want to present some content that I think will offer at least a rough framework for what that is. My apologies to Rabbi Dorf. Um, I am many things and I enjoy reading philosophy, but I am not a philosopher. So uh, I ask for your indulgence in that regard. And without further ado, let's get into what we're getting into. All right. Oh, mm, hold on. There we go. Okay. Look. Go, huh? See? Rabbi Schatz isn't the only one who knows her way around uh, Google Slides. Look at this. Okay. Very good. Spiritual health and growth. That's me, Rabbi Matt Shapiro. I work at Temple Beth Am. It's Elul. Okay. Um, I found this verse. I didn't find this verse. This verse has been here for a very long time. But in prepping for today, um, I, I saw this verse that seemed to, to give us an interesting place to start. Um, we read it just a couple of weeks ago, Dvarim chapter 4, verse 9. Um, I'm just going to bring us to the first part of the verse, which is, That you should, and this was just the, the translation that I saw that was most readily available, said, take utmost care and watch yourself scrupulously. Uh, it sounds exhausting. Uh, you should watch yourself scrupulously. Um, but as Rabbi Schatz and I so often talk about in our Parsha class, uh, not a great translation. Like really the translation, I think, gets pretty far afield um, from what, what you would translate in a much more shot form. So I took another crack at it. If you say, Rak hishamer lecha ushmor nafshecha me'od, there are two pieces here, right? There's actually two types of caretaking, like lishmor, to protect, to care for. There's two different things that you need to be protecting, yourself and your nefesh, which is interesting, right? We, we know, as Ramashat and I have been telling folks in our Parsha class for quite some time now, there is no extraneous verse, phrase, word in the Torah. So why would it be that the Torah is going out of its way to say you should take care of yourself, and also me'od, not just shmor nafshecha, not just take care of your spirit, of your nafesh, but to really do it, me'od, to, to um, I'm just going to keep rolling with scrupulously, that you should take extra careful care of it 
that spirit of yours. Mikliakar, a 16th century uh, rabbi who was in Prague, commentary on the Torah, laid it out, sort of broke this down in an interesting way. He said, take care of yourself means look after your physical body. But it doesn't add scrupulously, ma'od, as it does after the second part of the verse, which refers to guarding one's soul, spirit, um, that, that your essence, because one must be even, care, even more careful to protect one's soul than one's body. Um, so I thought particularly when we talk about spiritual health, spiritual growth, um, this sense of there is something um, that is more than just our physical body, that the Kliakar is using this first as a jumping off point to talk about how carefully we need to um, take care of that, that part of ourselves, to which you might ask, well, how do you do that? And what does that mean? And those are great questions, and we're going to explore that uh, more deeply as we move forward. Now, at the same time, per what Rabbi Dorf was talking about last week, he was indicating, correctly, of course, that our tradition doesn't separate out these two pieces. So even though in this verse, we're seeing some differentiation between, per the Kliakar's commentary, your physical body and your spiritual essence, at the same time, we are integrated beings. And Rabbi Dorf uh, cited this uh, Agatha, this narrative piece from the Talmud, where the soul and the body is part of a larger sogia, part of a larger exploration of the different parts of ourselves in Masechet Sanhedrin, that we can't so easily separate out our essence or spiritual essence from our physical self. And that, right, when we are, we are on the day of judgment, which, you know, tis the season for to be some, thinking about such things, when the soul is brought forth on the day of judgment, it isn't separate from the body as they were when they sinned and he judges them as one, right? That, that the, the two pieces of ourselves are not so easily separated out. So you could ask, uh, Rabbi Mashapiro, you are saying that we can look at these things separately and we can look at them as being interwoven, which is the right framework for thinking about this, to which in true rabbinic fashion, I will just answer you, yes, right? That we can think about um, differentiating those parts of ourselves and at the same time seeing them ultimately as integrated, like I was talking about uh, at the beginning. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there for a second. Um, I saw there was a chat, thoughts, reflections, comments thus far. I'm gonna have a sip of coffee. Pause. All right. Oh, yeah, Joanna. As you were talking, there were a couple of phrases from the High Holiday Liturgy that were coming to my mind. So oh. one is, um, Hanishama Lach Vehaguf Po'alach, right? Which seems to differentiate the, so first just to translate, um, our soul is yours, God, and our bodies are also, our body is your work. So that seems to kind of differentiate the two, um, you know, in line with the Kliyakar. Yeah. Um, but then there's another line, and I think it's even not far from that line, but there's another phrase that pops into my head, 
Veruach kol basar ish. So ruach to me seems to speak to the soul, you know, your, the wind in you, the spirit in you, your soul, but the soul of like the flesh of a person. So that to me is like the Sanhedrin piece, like somehow like the soul and the body and your flesh is one. It's yeah. not that same divisiveness into two separate things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, thank you for the, the seasonal connection. Um, it, it's, I'm glad that at least one of us has, has the machzor on the brain. Uh, I do not have that so readily accessible on a, on a Monday morning, but I'm really grateful that you do. Um, and, and to your point, I think really nicely laid out the sense. And, and I think, you know, look, just like I can talk about my arm separate from my leg, right? My arm is not my leg. I think, uh, but they are part of my body. So too, I can talk about the different aspects of myself while recognizing that they are ultimately part of a whole, right? I think we, I think we can, we can have, have that um, framework similarly for thinking about our spiritual selves and our physical selves. The other thing I'll just offer up very transparently is that there are different words in our tradition that I am using uh, somewhat interchangeably and that uh, a, a date to be named later, we can maybe have a session in which we explore the difference between nefesh and neshama and ruach, right? Each of which are three different words that refer to some non-physical part, spiritual essence of who we are as people, Um Generally, the framework is considered to be that the neshama is sort of the the highest, most elevated part of ourselves. The ruach is the life force and the nefesh is just like the sort of life force that is is true, is present for for all beings like human and animal together. Um, That's a much longer conversation. And I'll, I'll just sort of name that I'm kind of glossing over that piece just to refract out to this sort of adjacent point um, that there, there is some aspect of who we are as people that is not just our physical body, right? So, so I'll, I'll sort of lay, lay that, that element out as well. Um, okay, any other thoughts, questions, reflections before we trudge onwards? Okay, cool. Um, so I'm going to pivot from there into um, a couple of um, reflections from from contemporary authors, um, because, you know, up, up until relatively recently, you wouldn't necessarily see rabbis like sit down and write books on a topic, right? Case in point, the Clea Carr didn't well, he might have, I don't know, I wasn't with him, but he wasn't necessarily thinking, I'm going to sit down and like write an essay on what it means to take care of guarding your soul, right? He, he instead was operating in a much more traditional milieu where the primary way in which you op- offer commentary or reflections on Judaism, Jewish spirituality is by commenting on the verses, right? Uh, over time, there were law codes, there were works of philosophy, but it's only relatively recently that folks are going to say, hey, I'm going to write a book on a specific topic. Um, and not too surprisingly, given the particular climate that we're in, there are more and more works being written by contemporary authors about 
Jewish spirituality and what that is and how we can practice it. There has been a tradition of Musar, of this discipline of sort of self-cultivating uh, character traits that's very much about spiritual improvement, right? It's not just to say that this has only happened in the past few decades, but more and more folks are writing about this um, specifically, um, including a book that came out relatively recently, uh, literally called Spiritual Growth by Rabbi Paul Steinberg. Um, and he talks very specifically from his perspective about what spiritual growth is from a Jewish perspective. Um, I, I already cut this down a bit, so, but I, I, I tried to be true to, um, sort of the core pieces of what he names. He names out a few different pieces. Um, I'll just read it out. He says, spiritual growth is the humble process of self-integration. So again, this idea of bringing pieces together guided by the realization and acceptance of the interconnectedness of all life. It involves the dismantling of old ideas that breed negativity, self-doubt, and resentment. It is an endless journey in which we are always on the way, ever moving forward without a there to get to. So that it's a sense that we're, we're always not quite there, that there's always something else, some other uh, next step to be working on. It is a process of development of the soul, this idea of, of the soul and the spiritual essence again, demanding rigorous honesty, daily spiritual practice, and the application of spiritual principles. Finally, spiritual growth seeks progress by way of learning from mistakes. So there's, there's a lot of pieces in there. I think we can break down any number of those um, for quite some time. I'll also name that um, there is definitely some... Uh, addiction recovery e language in there. Um, Rabbi Stenberg has written very specifically and openly about his own journey through recovery. Um, and when you see words like resentment and rigorous honesty and spiritual principles, um, those are sort of like, not buzzwords, but if you know the, the recovery world, those hyperlink very quickly to, to ideas kind of within um, the, the 12-step community as well. So, so bringing those pieces together, the Jewish spirituality and, and recovery. Speaking of recovery, um, this can I, is, can oh, I just, yes, I just say Rabbi that, Rebecca Schatz. No, this has nothing to do with the content. I just want to say that Rabbi Paul Steinberg is a wonderful, wonderful, both rabbi, but also teacher and someone who um, I know Rabbi Shapiro knows very well, but I had the honor of having as a teacher when I was in rabbinical school. And I just cannot, I cannot say enough wonderful things about him, nor can I recommend anything he's written uh, more highly. So if you, if you're interested in, in this type of work, uh, he also wrote a beautiful series on the holidays, which we used in rabbinical school. So just wanted to give him a shout out since we're also on a podcast that everything he's done that I've been able to read has been really remarkable. All right. Hi, Paul. Um, and I'll add, he, he also wrote somewhere back there in my bookcase. Um, he wrote a book very clearly laying out um, the overlay of uh, the 12 steps of AA with Jewish spiritual principles, which is um, a really helpful resource as well. Um, speaking of recovery, as uh, it's all about recovery. Uh, it's by I, Rami Shapiro, who is also a rabbi, um, no relation, there's a lot of Rabbi Shapiro's out there. There are, li there are literally three Rabbi Shapiro in the Los Angeles area. 
Um, I am no doubt the lesser of the three. Hello, fellow Rabbi Shapiro. Um, but this book is called Recovery, um, The Sacred Art. Um, and even though Rami Shapiro is a rabbi, he wrote it from a sort of broader perspective. He talks about his own struggles with overeating um, very openly in the book. And he weaves together um, teachings from all sorts of spiritual traditions in the work, also going through the 12 steps, which is very interesting. We can talk also more broadly about how interesting it is that these two books, I mean, yes, I have worked in the recovery world, but from what I can tell, um, the works talking about spiritual principles, spiritual growth from the rabbinic perspective are also from uh, guys also in the recovery world, which is very interesting. Um, but Rami Shapiro in his work says he gives a very different definition than Rabbi Steinberg. We can talk about that um, in a little bit. He says spiritual growth is an ever deepening capacity to embrace life with justice, compassion, curiosity, awe, wonder, serenity, and humility. And he puts a fine point on something that is true in Paul Steinberg's definition as well. He says, notice that there is no mention of God in my definition, uh, which I think is very interesting. I think it's interesting that each of these teachers, um, they are rabbis, they are talking about spirituality. And yet, when they talk about spiritual growth, they aren't talking about God. I think that's really interesting. Um, there, there is in each of them it, something that underlies that. I think um, Rami Shapiro in this, he goes on to say, um, basically, uh, he, he goes on later in the paragraph, he says, a specific belief in or idea of God is not essential either to spiritual growth or to working the 12 steps. Uh, personally disagree. We're going to get into that shortly. Um, I don't quite know why that is. I don't know if it's because people have a hard time believing in God and they want to leave that open. I don't know if it's an articulation of their own struggles. Um, I don't know if it's because there's a sense that you can work on this. Rabbi Steinberg doesn't say that quite so um, specifically in his book. Um, but I do think it's interesting that each of these teachers, when talking about spirituality, particularly given pieces that we'll look at in a second, are, are very specifically not uh, naming a God piece in their definitions. Rabbi Schatz, are you, are you raising your hand? You're so, you're so, you're so polite, Rabbi Schatz. Yes. Um, I know that in the 12 step program, God is mentioned, correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's a sense of a higher power. Right. So it could it could it be, and maybe you don't have an answer because this is specific to these humans, but for you, could it be that God isn't mentioned in these two pieces that you brought us because they're because you want that separation? Like you want to be able to kind of come to it on your own without believing in something influencing your your path, whether good or bad, just based on based on whatever you're working on, could it be that your theology, if God is too connected, um, would somehow be impacting the good or the bad choices and that that might not be as healthy? You're saying because people might have like trouble with the God piece or a theology that's like not working for them? Yeah, or like anything? need to work out their own stuff before before the God relationship can kind of come in. Could, could be, that, that could be. And in the, in the, par- I mean, I 
I guess I could have put the whole paragraph in the slide, but Rami Shapiro talks about how he says there's time for theological explanation. He says, right, I believe in God and use the term often, right? He's he's not he's not anti-God, right? He does recognize it as a part of the process. Um, and I think it's very interesting that in a definition of what spiritual growth is, there's very specifically no mention of God, yeah. right? Um, so speaking of that, and, and I think connected to Rabbi Shantz's point, um, another rabbi who also worked in the recovery field, uh, we're seeing a theme here, um, who actually uh, passed away this past year, Allah Shalom, um, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, who was really um, the first rabbi, he's an Orthodox rabbi, he was really the first Orthodox rabbi to give a hecture uh, with, with everything that that entails intentionally um, to give a hecture to work in the 12 steps of AA. Um, and he's, he has written a ton of books, really recommend his stuff as well. Um, this is actually from an article that I, that I read online, but Rabbi Schatz, to your point about why God might not be named so specifically um, in these kinds of things. He says, it is absolutely ridiculous to believe in God, Orthodox rabbi, by the way, just just for the record, is absolutely ridiculous to believe in God, and it is absolutely ridiculous not to believe in God. People who believe in God have to explain why bad things happen to good people. People who don't believe in God have to explain uh, everything else. Um, There's a lot we can unpack in here, but I'm just bringing this piece specifically because I think it's an interesting counterpoint to these two definitions of spiritual growth um, that are laid out in terms of recognizing, like Rabbi Schaps was saying, well, maybe it's because the God piece is really difficult. Um, and maybe it's also because, um, you know, there's, there's a sense that um, we, can, we can leave the God piece for later. Um, and I think it's also possible, at least for me, to still wrap this idea of a higher power or God into a sense of what spirituality is um, without it being too um, restrictive. Um, I see that there are chat. I, I saw a hand and I saw that there were chats. I just want to lay out this, this next piece um, and then I'll, I'll hop out of the screen here and see what folks are saying. So. Um, this quote is from a work by Dr. Lisa Miller, not a rabbi. Um, and she, Rabbi Schatz has heard me talk about this book a, a lot. So she's probably rolling her eyes, even though I can't see her right now. Uh, yep, there she is. Yep, she's rolling her eyes. Um, Dr. Miller is a research psychologist. And she lays out some really interesting work in which she talks about how spirituality is something that we are, that is innate to everyone. Um, she lays out some really interesting research where she lays out the positive, getting back to this idea of spirituality being something that, that is integrated, that spiritual health can be integrated um, into who we are as people. She lays out sort of the positive and concrete impacts of spiritual connection in our lives. Um, she talks about two periods in life when kids are most able to sort of flower in their spirituality when they're, when they're little, when they're like two or three. Um, and then again, when like at the beginning of adolescence, right, in these big periods of growth. But because she's a research psychologist, she has to define her terms, right? She has to very clearly lay out what she's talking about when she talks about spirituality. And this is her definition of spirituality. And you can notice, fascinatingly, that the research psychologist talks about God or a higher power 
much more concretely than the two rabbis that we've just looked at, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and her definition of spirituality is that it is an inner sense of relationship to a higher power that is loving and guiding. Um, the word that we give to this higher power might be God, nature, spirit, the universe, the creator, or other words that represent a divine presence, right? She's not worrying too much about exactly what you call it, but you're calling it something. The important point is that spirituality encompasses our relationship and dialogue with this higher presence. So what she's laying out is that spirituality has, has two components. One, relationship to a higher power. Two, that there's, there's a relationship and dialogue there between each of us individually and, and that higher power. Um, and so therefore, then, right, spiritual growth would be growing in that relationship and developing, um, developing what that looks like in your life. Okay. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to a punchline in a minute. Um I'm not I can't see the chat, should I? Huh? Um okay. I'm going to I'm gonna forge onward because I want to get to this punchline and then I'll pause. Have I shots? Can I get a thumbs up on that? Is that okay? I can't see. Okay. So I recently um came across this next piece um just last week. Um, I don't know if folks have heard of the Institute uh, for Jewish Spirituality. They do great work. Rabbi Schatz has assembled a fantastic Elul program. They are also doing some really great Elul stuff. If you have the capacity for two different Elul programs, uh, I highly recommend theirs as well. They're doing really, really good stuff. Um, And this next piece is coming from a teaching that was sent out just last week. Um, from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality by Rabbi Jonathan Slater. I'll click over to it in a second, but I'll just revisit something that we talked about last week, that Rabbi Dorf laid out last week, in terms of talking about the role of Jewish education as compared to other uh, educational systems. Rabbi Dorf highlighted that the role of Jewish education historically is to teach people about how to follow the mitzvot, right? That classically, historically, that's what we talked about, that we have a system of mitzvot and that Jewish education is about teaching people what those are and how to follow them. And I think this teaching from Rabbi Slater lays out really nicely integrating some of these pieces with God and spiritual growth and this more classical definition of what um, Jewish education is for. If I can figure out how to click, there we go, okay. This is Rabbi Rabbi Slater's speaking um, about this general idea. We understand the whole of the Jewish religious system to be grounded in diverse and varied spiritual practices to engage us as whole human beings, right? So if we're thinking about what Jewish religion is, it's that we have these spiritual practices. The classic rabbinic language identifying and defining spiritual practices is that of mitzvah, right? And usually we talk about mitzvah and its commandment. And here Rabbi Slater says, we sense that mitzvah is connected to the Aramaic word tzavta, meaning connection and community. It is through mitzvot that we can connect most deeply to our inner lives and then to the communities in which we are situated and ultimately the whole of the world. So here he's bringing together a few different pieces that I've talked about today. One, he's articulating a different framework, but still a concrete framework for what spiritual practice and growth and health can look like. And that's the system of mitzvot. He's, he is talking about that um, in terms of being connected to something bigger than us, um, even though he, he isn't naming out the God piece specifically. I will tell you, he, he talks about that elsewhere in the article, even though you don't necessarily see it here. Um, and he's talking about connecting it to our inner lives as well. 
one way we take this into practice is to see each mitzvah linked to some particular aspect of our life and our behavior. Connecting with and performing that mitzvah directs us to that part of our life to bring us into direct relationship with our life in this moment. I'll sort of pause here to say that Institute for Jewish Spirituality focuses a lot on mindfulness practice. And you can, you can kind of see that there, right? Direct relationship with our life in this moment, bring, being mindful, paying attention to what's going on right now and seeing the system of mitzvot as each being an opportunity to delve into that, to say, okay, what's right. When we think about Shabbat or we think about Kashrut or we think about saying Brachot, we think about the interpersonal relationships, this idea that each mitzvah has the capacity to bring us into this moment. And then performing the mitzvah invites us to recognize the inner psycho-spiritual dynamic at work in our own beings. With this greater clarity, we gain the freedom to then choose a way of being in the world that aligns with our sense of higher purpose, moral intention, and spiritual awareness. So again, all, all of these, um, all of these quotes can give us lots to, lots to delve into. I'm happy to, um, like share the link. Um, to the slides if people want an opportunity to like click through them and explore um, these these quotes these teachings sort of their own time to reflect on it a bit Um, but again I I think this teaching really beautifully integrates um, some of the different pieces that uh, I've been speaking about today I'm going to click through a couple more slides then I'll just hop out and we can People can, people can ask me to go back and we can talk about all that. So I'm talking about spirituality, but here I'm also talking about a specific religion. Um, so how, what's, what's, uh, what's the deal with like spirituality and religion? What's, what's the connection or lack thereof between those two? Um, folks might have heard me talk about um, sort of the Venn diagram of this before. And I don't know where I originally heard it. Um, I actually think it might have been a Rabbi Torsky teaching that I heard it from, but I'm not the only person I think about it. Um, and this was just a Venn diagram that I found online as I was like, I don't think I'm the person who came up with that. And I'm definitely not. Someone else did. Uh, probably lots of other people have thought about this. So you can see in this Venn diagram um, that there is religion, which is distinct from spirituality in some ways. And there is spirituality, which is distinct from religion in some ways, right? You hear uh, pretty frequently today, you'll hear people say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. It's great. Yeah, that works for you. That's fine. Um, I don't know that you will often hear people say that they are religious, but not spiritual. But I know that there are plenty of people who are religious, but not spiritual. Um, but that there is a Venn diagram, right? That there is an overlap between what religion offers and what spirituality offers. And that from my perspective, it's helpful to have a spiritually infused religious practice, right? That there is a sense of peace and purpose that you can be open to what you want to do, right? That there's there's sort of that inner expansiveness that is grounded and offered a framework, kind of a scaffolding by um, what religion has to offer. I find that to be um, helpful and meaningful because particularly when we talk about spiritual growth, spiritual health, moving along the spectrum of spirituality towards greater integration, that's some really big, heady, challenging stuff to think about. And having that grounded within a specific religious tradition, for me, is a helpful framework to work within. I am biased based on my line of work and who I am as a person. But from my perspective, I find that to be helpful. And again, just to lay out that it is not a matter of, well, you're going from not being spiritually healthy to spiritually healthy. 
right? That it's, it's not binary, that it is very much a spectrum. We, you see it often in mental health, right? This is one of a few different um, like diagram spectrums that I found online in terms of what a spectrum of mental health can look like. There are people out there, and I, I hope they get the help that they need, who are very much in crisis with whatever they have happening with, with their mental health. There are also people, I'm sure there's somewhere out there, even in the middle of 2021, who are excelling uh, in their mental health, and I would love to meet them, and they must be really super awesome folks. Um, most of us, I would say, are probably somewhere in the surviving, on a good day, thriving spectrum, right? And that, that it's not binary, and that it can shift from day to day, right? I think that's just part of what it is to be a person in the world. And hopefully we have the resources to help bring us more towards the green side of the spectrum when we're um, surviving, maybe moving into struggling, and that that's an ongoing process. Like Rabbi Steinberg talked about in his definition, that it's, it's a path, right? It's not a destination. And here too, I found this, this was actually on um, this was the, really the only version of this diagram that I found online. It's from a Canadian uh, hospice center, but they, I think they laid it out really nicely. That unfortunately, yes, there may be times in our lives, there may be people who are experiencing total emotion, total spiritual pain, that there is a real sense of meaningless, that there's real withdrawal from the world. And again, there might be some people out there like Rabbi Rebecca Schatz who have total spiritual well-being. We can't all get there, right? But that there is a sense of total spiritual being. Every moment is meaningful. Every moment is connected. And if you're spiritual and religious, right, anchored in the system of mitzvot that are helping elevate your life and your soul into community and the whole world. And oh my goodness gracious, how wonderful that is. Most of us experience spiritual struggles, that we try to navigate issues of guilt, sadness, suffering. Who can I trust? Where do I find hope? Right? I think that's really, really common and normal. I think that's where most people often find themselves to a certain degree, often, with, you know, again, with this idea of a spectrum. And that when we think about what spiritual growth looks like, moving to a greater place of spiritual health, remembering that it's a spectrum and that we're all going to um, be walking this path with the various stumbles and struggles along the way, to try to get towards greater spiritual well-being, and then we'll stumble again, and then we'll move towards greater spiritual well-being, hopefully, again, with the resources that we developed with, de- develop within our tradition and our community and within ourselves. So that was a lot of stuff to throw at everybody, um, but I appreciate the opportunity to sort of compile it and offer it up. Um, I will pause here for reflections, thoughts, Questions, queries, comments, concerns, conundrums, and the like. Um, oh, yes, Tybal, I saw you wanted to add something. Yes, please. Because um, to me, it was relevant about what you're saying and different, different people you quoted, rabbis, and then you would say someone's not a rabbi. Um, I'm a native Pittsburgher, and growing up, my father talked to me about three rabbis of importance in Pittsburgh, one being Rabbi Tversky. Rabbi Tversky, he's from, I forget which he was, may his memory be a blessing, from several Hasidic dynasties. And I think he's from Milwaukee, but it's somewhere in the Midwest. And when he became a rabbi, he noticed that his congregants didn't turn to him for what I would call pastoral help. 
the way they turned to his father. And he decided it was because Americans were looking to psychiatrists. So he was already um, a person with a family, given the Hasidic. And he decided then to go to medical school specifically to become a psychiatrist, because he thought that to become the rabbi that he wanted to become, he needed to be a psychiatrist. So that's how he even started down the path that wound up um, having him see, become someone who was active in addition recovery. And it wasn't for Jewish congregants. It was for people he saw on the streets as he passed them going to shul. And he felt he needed to help them too. He just was this um, extraordinary person. And maybe the last thing I'll say, because you're, you know, the people in Los Angeles, he was really struggling financially to afford medical school. And there was some publicity. And without knowing him, Danny Thomas stepped forward and paid for his medical school so he could finish. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think Rabbi Torsky definitely came up with some really powerful ways to um, type of, like you're saying, integrate the medical and the spiritual and was really, um, really groundbreaking in that regard. Like there was really nobody, at least as far as I know of, and I'm, I'm glad to be corrected if, if I'm missing uh, a teacher or two out there, but he was really the first person to integrate those pieces um, in some really powerful ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing a couple of requests for the PowerPoint, so I'll, I'll, I'll toss it in the chat. Happy to have um, folks look at it. I, I know there were some chunky, chunky quotes in there that I, that I skipped over relatively quickly that, you know, we have a few moments now. I'm happy to um, toss them back up if folks want to revisit any of them. And if people want to take a, a few moments on their own time to scroll through the slides, um, ha- more than happy to, to share those. So other questions, thoughts, reflections, Just because Sarah asked you this question and all you said that you're going to be doing it next week, <laughs> but um, like, and if this is too personal, you can make it general, but how, how does kind of diving into this part of the Hagim for you help you connect to the Hagim? Like how, how does, how does the, I would assume more spiritual health and mental health in in terms of like actual practice during the high holidays, but I'd be happy to be wrong. Um, Like how does that ground you in terms of whether it's the work that you're doing on the Chagim or your own journey on the Chagim of figuring things out? Like how, how does that help you? And maybe that would also give insight to those of us who are wondering how it would help us. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the, the the gift of being one of the many gifts of being in our line of work is that you know as I'm as I'm working all this stuff out for myself, I get to I get to share it with other people. So so um, I'm sure folks know this. You know the the things that you hear rabbis talking about are usually the things that they're working out for themselves. Um, so you know I, I've been sort of noodling on this high holiday sermon that I'll be giving. Um, and it's a lot about how, um, on air of Rosh Hashanah, so everyone should on of Rosh Hashanah, which, which no one will be listening to, um, you know, this idea that we're, we're each on, um, 
you know, a little bit of what Rabbi Steinberg hints at in his, that we, we can't go back, we have to go forward, right? And so for me, there, there is a desire. I, I, I wish we could go back to the way things were a year and a half ago, and I don't think it's possible, right? I think we need to recalibrate to be in the world that we're in. Um, and fortunately, uh, we have a tradition that tells us how to do that, right? We have a tradition that offers us up offers up for us resources for how to uh, look forward into a new kind of response for what this is. I'm spoiling my whole sermon here. So now no one has to go to Erevash Shema services. Uh, everyone should go to Erevash Shema services. It's important. It's first Mariv of the year. Um, but the, the framework that I'm going to offer up for that is tshuva, right? We, we usually talk about tshuva as repent, repentance, right? But, but tshuva, people have heard me say this a bunch probably already. Tshuva is also answer or response, right? She'ela, tshuva. And so we're each being asked a really big question right now, which is how are we going to respond to the situation that we're in? And each of our tshuva for the coming year is trying to figure out how to answer that question. That's a really big question right now, right? How are we responding to the circumstances in which we find ourselves? Um, From my perspective, that is just as big a question heading into the high holiday season as, um, you know, specific, um, making right of, of wrongs we've committed in the past year. Um, that's a really big one. Uh, you, asked, you asked me, what's that like for me? I don't know. I got, I, got, I got another two weeks, three weeks. How many weeks do I have? Three weeks to try to figure that out. So uh, three, three shopping weeks left until, until Arab Shana. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out. Three weeks? No. Yeah, three weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just gave Rabbi Shatz an anxiety attack. So she's she is she has just gone gone towards the yellow end of the spectrum on oh, yeah. mental and spiritual health. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you know, more more specifically, I I really do like the framework that Rabbi Slater offers up, so to speak, sort of more narrowly within within what what we're doing here. Um, I'm planning on on trying to tease apart that framework for each of us to think a little bit about we'll do this next week like what is a mitzvah or two that you can sort of like dive into to to ground yourself and to like really spiritually anchor yourself um in some kind of way and that can be shabbat that can be kashrut that can be a sense of not putting a stumbling block before the blind whether that's yourself or someone else right there there are all these mitzvot that our tradition have to offer um, folks might have heard me talk about this or um, at various points along the way the past year and a half. I don't know what I would have done without Shabbat the past year and a half. I really don't. Um, yes, because it's a pause from work. Yes, because it's an opportunity to connect with my family um, and, and see my, my little hooligans run around their neighborhood with, with their friends and, and get a break from, from everything. But it was just also helpful in terms of marking time because everything started blending together. And when all you do is be on Zoom and even Shabbat is over Zoom and everything is on Zoom to be able to say, I'm taking a break. There needs to be a pause here because otherwise it's just all blurring together. For me, that was so important, right? When my, when my, when my desk for work was five feet away from my bed, I needed 25 hours to not have Zoom up. That was really, really important. Um, I don't think that's what 
God had in mind or the, ra- the rabbis of the Mishnah had in mind when they were talking about what Shabbat could look like, but integrating where we're at as people with the resources that our tradition offer up to help us navigate the spiritual dilemmas that we're currently facing. To me, that's, that's a pretty concrete example um, of what this could look like. Because for me, the spiritual dilemma was, how am I differentiating what's going on in my life? How am I navigating the flattening out of everything into a Zoom stream? How am I sort of combating this Zoom fatigue and this stress of the situation that we're in? And one of the answers of a few was Shabbat. And and from my perspective, that's sort of uh, an integration of of this framework of the mitzvot and personal spiritual challenges and, and trying to put those pieces together. Um, and so heading into the Chagim, heading, in, heading into the high holidays, I would say that we each have the opportunity to sort of take a step back. And, what, and you know, folks, folks can think about this for next week. If you like me, I, I can give everybody homework. I love giving homework. The homework can be, right, what is a spiritual dilemma? What's something that you're struggling with as you're heading into these next three weeks that Rabbi Schatz is now freaking out about, right? What, what's something that you're really trying to navigate? Because you can't know what a solution might be if you don't have a clear sense of what the problem is, right? You can't just slap a bandaid, right? If you don't know where, where the wound is, you don't know where to put the bandaid, right? If it turns out I have a scrape on my elbow, but I put the bandaid on my forehead, the bandaid's not doing anything, right? So I would encourage everybody to really try to reflect on what is the spiritual work? What is the, the issue, the challenge that and, and if you're lucky, you only have one, but you probably have more, right? What's the something or some things that you're really grappling with um, as you're heading into these weeks? Because hopefully, maybe, possibly, our tradition has resources to offer that can help ground that and combat that and, and try, to, try to help you navigate whatever it is that, that you've got going on. So that was, that was a long answer to a short question, but, but that would be my, my attempt to sort of pull, pull that apart a little bit. Other thoughts, reflections? I'm happy to keep talking. I mean, I have a lot to say on this topic. The, uh, the other thing I'll, I'll offer up um, is that, as you could tell from the, the really uh, lovely logo um, that I had on some of the slides, is um, we're, we're, try- we're experimenting with this uh, Temple Betham Center for Spiritual Growth that I'm trying to run with a little bit. Um, and we have been successful in launching a spiritual support group that I think has been really lovely for the folks who have um, showed up for it. And we're trying to find other areas in which we can um, expand out sort of navigating some of these pieces um, as a community. So if you have questions about that or ideas that you think might be helpful to um, weave in, in addition to the pieces that we already have with the meditations that Rabbi Klickfeld offers. Um, and when we do Hama'alot and the high holiday lounges that I offer over the course of Tishrei, as always, the opportunities for pastoral counseling with our rabbis, right? The different pieces that we already have in place. Um, I'd be more than happy to talk about and explore that with folks um, as well. So, um, yeah, I, uh, Denise and then Tybal. Um, okay, so when I saw in the emails and stuff that we're doing the Center for Spiritual Growth, I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Immediately clicked on it, wanted to join. And then they were, but they were all like really targeted to specific things that I have experienced in my life, but I'm not experiencing now. And 
so I was kind of bummed out a little bit, like, like I, I felt myself kind of wishing or hoping that at some point there's going to be a space to do that, you know, without necessarily attaching it to a specific struggle or maybe even for people who are happy. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but I feel like sometimes my happiest times are actually really lonely because everyone shows up for you when you're sitting Shiva. But Mm. when you're dancing in the street, people are like, oh, yeah, that can wait, you know? Yeah, well, first of all, I think you you named something like right, right, right there at the end, I think you named something um, really both challenging and powerful, which is, yeah, I think, I think because um, it's, it's always so stark, right. When someone is going to Shiva, when there's just been a loss, when, when there's an acute illness, right. And the challenge of sustaining that connection and I'll, I'll name for myself, right. That, I am pretty good when there is someone in our community who I know is uh, has experienced um, immediate loss or someone who is in the hospital. Um, I'm pretty good about reaching out to those people. It's really tough, but but it's but it's really tough. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you think that's true. I do my best, and it's really tough. And what I try to do is at least put reminders in my calendar for two or three months later because the grief doesn't just disappear after Shloshim, right? And even if you're out of the hospital, you might still be recovering from whatever got you in the hospital two or three months later. It doesn't necessarily mean it's gone just because you're not in the ICU. Um, and I think it is a challenge recognizing that recovery takes time in all of its forms. Um, and Denise, I'm happy to, to speak to you offline or elsewhere about um, like what the what, what, what we're offering and how we're offering it. I think you can, you can want to explore what spiritual support might look like for you, even if you're not experiencing like an acute crisis in the moment. I'm, I'm happy to talk, talk more about that with you either today, if you want to stay on for a couple of moments or, or at a later date, happy to explore that with you. Um, Renee, Joanna, and then Tybal. So along with what, along what you just said, um, I think that, the, the shul initially when COVID started, the wonderful rabbis of our shul initiated a program where we, re- we reached, reached out to members of our shul who were elderly or alone or in need of like an extra whatever. And, um, and what you said is very much on the mark because what I've been hearing, I don't know what the initial intention of that program was whether it was supposed to be just like a one-time deal or not, but I have been in touch with those people on my list throughout. I've been calling them every week. And I know one thing that I've been hearing universally is that, um, oh, we heard from people in the beginning of this, but no one's really checked up on us along the way. And it's very true what you're saying. I mean, it's the, for these older people that are, or people that are alone and most vulnerable, they it, they weren't just vulnerable when things were starting, yeah. but now that we're going into the second year, where again they're they're not going to be able to be in shul and yada yada yada, they're equally as vulnerable. Yep, I I, I have I have nothing to add to that other than yes, you know I th- I think we're we're a big community we're blessed to be in a big community with a lot of members and with with a lot of different. Um, you know, people in different stages of life. And I agree. I think we were in um, 
because of like the crisis mode that we all sprang into when COVID hit, I think we did some really lovely relational work, right? And it needs to continue. Yeah. And not just, I'm not just talking about the clergy. I'm talking about people that reached out. Right. I mean, I I think exactly. Yeah. And even people like, um, like Barbara Hackman, you know, Rachmael's wife, I talk to her every week Hmm. and, um, she's so grateful for the Temple Bethlehem community that she had when she was there. Yeah. And, I, and I'm really grateful that you're doing that work to, to connect with folks. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, Joanna. So just picking up a little bit on what Denise said and sharing a bit of a personal um, reflection. So in addition to like, you know, spiritual growth and, you know, talking about, you know, mental health and spirituality amongst people who maybe are not going through anything at a particular moment. Yeah. Um, I'm divorced 10 years. And it so happens Rabbi Klickfeld said something in um, a recent sermon that just really triggered some thoughts and reflections in me on, you know, time, distance, things I've experienced and learned since then that caused me 10 years later to go back and sort of revisit my divorce and my marriage and like have a little bit of growth from that. And so like that might be interesting too, like, you know, gathering people one year, five years, 10 years post something, because I think that there's things that, you know, time and distance and perspective can lead to further growth that sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you can't see, or you're just not ready for. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I, I think a question with all of these is, is, you know, getting, getting, getting to critical mass and to your point, you know, there are some people who are going to be processing things one year out that some other people aren't going to be able to process until 12 years out. Right. This is so individualized. And I think we saw that woven through some of the teachings um, that I, that I offered up today I, I would, I'm, I'm glad, right? I'm glad that you were present in Rabbi Klickfeld's teaching to be able to then have the opportunity to sort of go back and revisit in what sounds like a healthy way to still sort of work through some of what was lingering. And I would sort of invert what you said at the very beginning of what you shared, um, which is, you know, well, you know, if people are just doing okay and not really going through much, and I, I would flip that on its head completely. We're all always going through something. It's called life, (laughs) right? Like we're all always navigating something and it might be an immediate acute loss. It might be a really painful divorce. It might be feeling really isolated in the middle of a pandemic. And even pre-pandemic, we each had the day-to-day schmutz that we were each navigating. Life isn't easy for anybody, no matter what it looks like. And I think the invitation of this work and what I like about some of these framings is just to say, we're all in this together. Everybody's navigating their stuff. It's just part of being a person. And we have a tradition that can ground us in some practices and some teachings that can help us all as individuals and as a community navigate the stuff that we're going through. Um, to yeah. me, I think that's, that's an important sort of inversion, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And kind of, I realized as you were talking, kind of what I had in my head and probably should have said out loud, but the word didn't come at the moment was, you know, seemingly people who seemingly, right? Because. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, don't, don't trust the, the, right. There's, there's a a recovery ism that says, you know, comparing our insides to the outsides of others. 
which I always think is so poignant, right? Like the person who you look at and you're like, oh, they've got it all figured out. How do you know? Right? We, we have no way of knowing what's going on in somebody's mind, heart, soul, necessarily, unless we're really sitting with them and connecting with them. And I think that that's also at, at its best what community can, can invite us into, right? All right. We're, we're, we're running so late that Rabbi, Sh- you know we're running late when even Rabbi Schatz has already left the building. But Tybal, you've had your hand up for a while, and then, then I'll try to, to wrap us up before we each go on with our day. Actually, you, you answered a bit of it because I was going to ask um, the Rabbi Kliegfeld meditation on Wednesday and Friday how that fit in the new spiritual center. And you said, but I was just interested if there's time, there may not be, how all of this came, the, the idea to make it more explicit and structured and formal, just a little bit more where that came from. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, on, on one foot. Um... It's, it's a passion of mine, and I talked about it with Rabbi Klickfeld, and I talked about it with our president, Stuart Tochner, and I talked about it with a few other folks, and I said, hey, I think we can bundle these pieces together and offer it up to folks and maybe build on it from there. Um, and they very enthusiastically um, and supportively said, yeah, if you want to do it, go, f- <laughs> go, go for it. Um, so uh, I'm... I'm trying to to put it out there. And, and of course, it's a collaborative effort with our team. Um, and collaborative also means with the community, right? This only works if other people kind of say yes to it and are open to exploring it. Um, the good news is most of it is stuff we were already offering, right? We were already offering our moving traditions groups for our teens and Hamalot and Rabbi Klickfeld's meditations and the high holiday lounges and the different um, guest speakers and teachers that we have come in sometimes. Um, so it is, Taival, as I think you you kind of rightly say, just kind of putting it all under one umbrella, saying these pieces are all kind of connected to each other. This is something that we value and place emphasis and, and uh, priority on as a community. Um, and we're kind of we're kind of seeing where it goes from here as we uh, move through Elul and into fifty seven eighty two um, with all of the hopefully joy and health that it has for us. Um, so with that, uh, I think I'm going to bring us to a close for today. I'm happy to linger on Zoom even for another couple of moments, but I'm going to pause the recording in a second and just say, you know, hope, inviting and, and hoping that folks will come uh, next week as we'll get into a little bit more um, personal and reflective work under this framework um, and hope that everybody has a great week and uh, we'll see you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.